Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. And today we are going to dig into this idea of tax free retirement. Bruce, doesn't that sound so nice? Who doesn't want tax free if that can come with retirement? Hey, look, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who have heard of this idea. And especially if you're in any way familiar with life insurance and the potential of life insurance. So I hope that we have piqued your interest and your attention. And we are going to unpack tax free retirement and actually talk about the three main reasons why this is a really bad idea, not a good idea for you in your financial life. So before we dig into this, Bruce, I would love just to get your big picture thoughts before we kind of dig into some of these concepts. Well, my first big picture thought is that this is for informational use only. It's where we are not CPAs. Um, although I think sometimes um, uh, CPA is a designation, but they don't, they don't always, um, they do not always put proper things into practice as far as strategy wise. But so you need to consult your own tax you know, uh, accountant for these strategies. But I would also include um, your financial advisor or at least do research on that. Um, but what we're going to do is give you some concepts to think about. Um, and they they are general concepts, but they do apply to most people when they're thinking about tax-free retirement. Um, you're gonna you're gonna comment on this in a second, but you know retirement is another um, concept that we'll we'll hit on a little bit. And obviously, people think they should pay the least amount of taxes in retirement. And I always say, say people is why don't we have a strategy where we pay the least amount of taxes over our lifetime, not just this year or not just in the retirement. And that is the ultimate goal. Uh, Bruce, I love that you always bring out some of the best ideas that uh, I was thinking of, but not just in the perspective or the angle that you had thought of. So this is going to be a great show. So we are going to first start with the idea of what exactly is tax-free retirement and why why has it been so popular? Um, And Bruce, I'm sure you have a little bit more of a historical take on this and when it came about. So I'm just going to share from my perspective first, which is probably going to be a little bit less technical and less historical and really more of a, a perspective of human the human condition and our behavior and our desires. So I think all of us want what's right in our financial life. We all want to do the best thing, to make the best financial choices. And sometimes the lens that we're seeing through is the one that's being put in front of us. Um, I'm actually thinking right now, my daughter's doing some vision therapy work and she's having to put a specific lens in front of her eye and read something through that lens. And one is a plus lens and one's a minus lens. It's working on her depth perception. So if somebody puts this lens in front of your eye and says, tax-free retirement, that's the lens you should be looking through. Well, doesn't that sound like a marvelous idea? Who would have thought that it's not a good idea, especially if you're hearing about this great topic and all these reasons why you should do it. So A, there's a lens that's being put in front of our eyes or our brain and our perspective that really frames an entire conversation. But we can be led astray by that because it can be really easy to say, well, look at this over here, tax-free retirement. That's the lens that you should be looking through wait a minute, what is the bigger picture? What is behind the strategy? What are the conclusions of this? What are the premises that this whole um, strategy is based on? And is it the right end target? And we're going to argue that all of the premises and the end target are the wrong thing. But that's why it can be so seductive or attractive or it can pull our attention just like any good marketing. It pulls our attention in this direction and makes us think that we have this need because it's the lens that's being put in front of us. I would challenge you whenever you're hearing a message that sounds very attractive to step back and say, what is the thinking behind this? What are the conclusions? What is the end point? What is the target? What's the goal of this strategy? 
And does it match the bigger principles, the bigger context of what I'm trying to accomplish in my life? If I say, Bruce, I just found this best strategy. Look, you can literally run a mile in two and a half minutes. And here's the, all the ways that you can do that. I mean, I probably, that would be a hard sell because maybe you already know that that's not your goal in life. It's not actually humanly possible. Uh, I don't know what the fastest mile is now. I know we've broken down under four mile, four minute mile, but, but look, if that's not your goal, why would you all of a sudden then pick up a strategy like that, that has nothing to do with what you're trying to accomplish in your life? I think it can be a little harder to read and engage and measure whether something is a fit for us and our goals and our strategy when it's in the financial world and something sounds really, really good. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I understand why people, especially people that listen to us probably have the same mindset that um, they would like to play, pay the fewest taxes possible, but I don't think anybody ever really thinks about why they want to pay the fewest taxes possible. I think the the initial reason is if you pay the fewest amount of taxes possible, that's another dollar you you have to spend, to invest, to save, or to give away. So there's some other goals to that. <clears throat> other people have a a um, reason to pay the fewest amount of taxes possible because they want to hold their elective representatives accountable for the spending that's going on. Um, and then the final reason that people might, might want to do that is <clears throat> it, it takes some of the stress out of your life when you know the amount of taxes that you're going to pay. And that is the unknown when people just do some tax deferred strategies is they, they put money into a tax deferred position because they don't want to pay taxes now but they have to pay taxes sometime in the future. And they do not understand what that tax amount's going to be. And so they think, well, if I just put it in some place that makes sense that I'm not going to have to pay any taxes, then that takes some of the stress away because I know that I won't have to pay any taxes. Um, theoretically, Congress could change that. It would be really hard to retroactively change that contractually. Um, but they have done some things to change that because recently they have actually changed how quickly you uh, need to actually empty the buckets of even Roth IRAs. So when you are a beneficiary of a Roth IRA, which you're paying no taxes and it goes to the next generation, the next generation <clears throat> needs to empty that bucket, not on an RMD schedule, but within 10 years. And a lot of people are like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. You don't have to pay taxes on that anyway. But what they want, they want that money back into the system so that then that money is then subject to either capital gains tax or income tax or, or maybe people tax defer it. So it does make sense when you look at it from a, a total principal position. I do like the fact that, Rachel, you, you were talking about... <clears throat> Whenever you're presented with something, you have to look at who's who's gaining, and most of it's marketing. You know, we encourage people to say that about us. You know, um, what are what's in it for us? What we're always saying is we are trying to add the most value as possible, and service as many as people as possible, and then people are are willing to do the appropriate strategies for them. And if they like it, then they don't mind you know paying the money advantage for those particular services. James mm -hmm. talks about this all the time. Um, even the life insurance companies who are the main component of this, this tax-free uh, retirement, you have to ask yourself what's in it for them mm -hmm. and marketing this. So let's just say big picture. Maybe you have not heard of this idea, or maybe this is kind of a introduction to the idea of tax-free retirement. I would Highly assume that you probably have heard of this strategy before, but let me just unpack it generally. What is the concept of tax-free retirement? Often you can hear somebody say, well, look, whole life insurance that is designed for maximum growth can be used for retirement income. And usually this strategy and this idea is saying this, 
you put your dollars into premium, you're going to grow your, your cash value through dividends and interest, which is what happens inside of a specially designed whole life insurance policy. And then when you want to retire and you need income that is not from your employment and you're working, then what you can do it. And again, this is how the strategy works or what tax-free retirement is about. This is not what I'm saying to do. So I just want to bring that distinction. So tax-free retirement then would say you can plan X number of years to withdraw X amount of income from your life insurance policy. And I said withdraw. Yes, you can take it in multiple ways. You could withdraw it or you could take it as loans with the idea of saying it's a tax advantage strategy for getting income. We're in a situation where we've put the dollars in, we've paid tax on the premium that we paid. Yes, it's growing tax deferred. We can access it tax-free because we can take a policy loan. We will not pay tax on a policy loan. If we take withdrawals up to our cost basis, we don't pay tax on that. So we can use up the cash value through loans and withdrawals and or withdrawals, depending on what is working best in your particular policy. But the idea with tax-free retirement is I put dollars into a life insurance policy for the purpose of specifically getting income that I can take out without paying tax when I have retired. I think that's the basic premise of tax-free retirement. So Bruce, is there anything else that you would add to what the premise is or maybe why it's come about or or, or what this idea of tax-free retirement specifically is? Well, I, th- I mean, it came about, it, it came about because uh, the same reason any, any tax um, incentive comes about, Congress was trying to incent people to put their money in certain places. And so to incent people to put their money into life insurance so that the state, local, or federal government doesn't have to take care of somebody in, in, the, uh, in the event of a tragedy one of the ways to do that was to actually make the growth and the death benefit uh, tax-free. And so that's how it came about. And then, then people started saying to themselves, well, this is great. Now I can actually use it for a tax-free retirement. And I know, I know you're going to hit on the, um, the concept of retirement here in a second, but the, the idea of tax-free retirement also came about in 1990 to 1999 with the Roth IRA, and that Roth IRA then was a was a um, was an incentive by Congress, I believe, to put more money into retirement because they're using the fact that you don't have to pay taxes on the growth as a way for people to put more money in retirement. And this whole idea of putting more money in retirement um, and Congress or an administration talks about this all the time is because they want to incent people to put money into Wall Street banks or Wall Street um, securities companies um, because they also contribute to campaigns. So that's a cynical way of looking at things, but that's, that's the way it works. So you have to ask yourself, does that really work for you? And the idea of retirement, is that really something that you should be striving for? So mm-hmm. Rachel, I want to mention yeah. that principle or fundamental, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, I think there's really three reasons that we're going to end up breaking down today. I was getting a little feedback. I think we're all good now. Um, if you're listening live and you are hearing us clearly, I'd love if you could just pop that into the chat, say, hey, yes, we're hearing you well. Um, So really, there's three main huge problems that I see when I look at the idea of tax-free retirement. The first is that the end goal is retirement, and we think that that's a terrible idea. So we're going to unpack that. Secondly, it's allowing the tax tail to wag the dog. This is a phrase that I've borrowed from Garrett Gunderson. He's written the book, Killing Sacred Cows, and he talks about you cannot ever make all of your financial decisions on the basis of how do I pay the least amount of tax? If you're just looking at taxes, again, that's a lens being put in front of your eyes to say, here's the most important thing. When really, there's not one most important thing. There's a lot of factors that you need to consider. And thirdly, income is not the best first goal of life insurance. It's not that it can't do that. It's just a bad first 
goal. So we're going to unpack these in this order. First, why is retirement a bad end goal? I mean, we could talk about this for a really long time, but let's just start here. The idea of retirement comes from this perspective. I work and work and work through my lifetime. I save money during those working years. I put that into some kind of a fund, an investment, a tool that's going to grow that more than what I've put in. Usually it's an investment. It's assuming some kind of risk. I need to get to a certain net worth. And then what I can do is drain off the interest, hopefully preserve the principal and maintain the lifestyle that I had while I was working. Now, the main reason why retirement is a really bad idea in the first place is that if you are stepping out of a position of working, you're putting yourself out of service. To retire literally means to put out of use. And that means you're in a position of no longer contributing to society in a way that is providing the value so that you can have an income. That's putting you in a position of isolation. It's putting you in a position of not having to use your new additional creative capacity and all of the skills and abilities that you've developed and built up during your working years. It's it's instead of serving people with that great value that you've created inside of yourself with your new mental capacity and your ability to think expansively, you are stopping work and stepping back and saying, I don't need to work anymore. It's also a poor perspective of work in the first place because work shouldn't be a drudgery. This is something that really can make us come alive because we have the opportunity to serve other people. And it's a beautiful and wonderful thing to be in a position of working. That's why we think that retirement alone, just the idea of stopping work, stopping serving others, stop contributing to society, it doesn't make any sense. It puts people in a position where their their mind is decaying, their physical body is atrophying, their relationships aren't as strong and as intact. And you're literally thinking about how to step back from society. It's also, you're not in a position of, um, of the best health that you could have. But what's even more interesting about this idea of retirement is that it's extremely self-focused. You're focused just on what I can get for me, which is not a healthy way to live. It's not a healthy way to show up in the world. And it's not a successful end target because I'm just saying, well, I'm working so that I can make money. The only goal of money is so that I can live. And if that's my only goal of money, I'm elevating money way up here in terms of its value in my life. And I'm putting people way down here because I really don't care about serving them. The only reason I'm working, if I have retirement as my end goal is for the money. And I'm getting money so that I can take care of me. And when I get enough money, I can then take care of me. And if you're only thinking about yourself, you're not only limiting the good that you can do for others, you're also limiting your happiness because we're truly the most happy when we're serving and benefiting other people's lives. So enough of my rant for a second. I think we could probably go on and on about that. Oh, Bruce, you're actually muted. You're muted. I can't hear you. How's that? Because I wasn't muted, so I don't know what happened. Um, I can hear you. I know I I can hear people listening to the podcast either live or later on. They're saying, "Oh no, 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 no! That's not me. That's not why I want to retire." And they they don't want to actually admit this that their mindset has been changed by other forces around them. And those first forces came in um, in 1935 when we were coming out of the Great Depression. We weren't quite out of it. That's why this force came about. And the Social Security Administration actually developed what was called old age insurance or what we call now uh, social security paychecks. And so they said, we would like to get the older people um, a certain amount of money to get out of the workforce so they could get the younger people into the workforce. And it was based upon a German um, concept. And that was the first real kind of retirement thought. Uh, Before that, we were an industrialized country, a farming country, uh, a labor country. And so you just you just continue to work throughout your life and serving people, whether you were making something or whether you were uh, growing something for uh, not only yourself, but the community. And so then we come out of World War II and 
we really, because of the production of goods and services during World War II, we really ramped up manufacturing here in the United States. And when that happened, uh, in order to lure people to that particular corporation, that we started offering benefits. And one of the biggest benefits that were, that were offered were, was uh, pensions. And pensions, once again, were, was a timeline. You do this for so many years, we're going to give you money so you don't have to do it anymore, and you leave, leave us. And uh, believe it or not, that was actually that uh, that is expensive for corporations, but it's also a way for corporations to get higher paid employees out and get more cheap um, rated employees in. But you're losing all that experience going away. I worked for years with um, the Missouri teacher uh, retirement here in in Missouri, and it's really kind of sad because. A Missouri teacher can work for 30 years, so they come out of college at age 22. They, uh, I always tell people it takes you about 15, 20 years before you even figure out how to teach properly because I was a teacher. And then the last 10 years, you finally figure it out, and you're only 52 years old. And in Missouri, the, the, it's, so, it's such a rich environment that you can actually make the same amount of money retired at 52 than you are going to actually teach. Oh, wow. All, you take all that, all that knowledge and wisdom and maturity, and you tell them, here, go away. We're going to replace you with a first-year teacher. And it's really sad commentary on our educational system. And it's not just in Missouri. Many of the, many of the, the uh, pensions across the nation for teachers are a similar situation. And that may be the most uh, the most da uh, damaging thing because the education of our citizens is probably the most important thing. You know, Bruce, along those same lines, and I, I don't want to disrupt your train of thought. So I just want to put one comment in here so you can continue. But I think this honestly goes all the way to our culture's obsession with youth as if somehow youth is better than age and wisdom. And I mean, we see it show up in a lot of places, but we were just talking about this in our family devotions last night, this idea of you can't have a body in a job is not the same thing. If one person has a tremendous knowledge and wisdom and skill, they've been there for a really long time. Our daughter has a cookie business. yet She doesn't yet have employees, but if she were to have somebody who'd worked with her and understood the whole business and knew how to do the sales and knew how to make the cookies and had her same value system and the same culture that she has with her customers, and they'd been with her for a long time, and she let go of that person and tried to pay somebody else who had no experience. We, we said, you could hire your three-year-old sister. She's the same, you know, she's a person, right? She doesn't have any skills or abilities. You wouldn't pay her the same thing. You wouldn't value her the same. And yet in our workforce, we tend to think, well, it's not fair that people who are, you know, have been there longer, have been paid more, and we should be able to provide opportunity for the younger people to come in. The real truth is a business who is working with people who have developed that skill set that turns into a very valuable role, a key person. They're irreplaceable in many ways. When you get to a position of having a long relationship, they have skills and abilities that that are something that they have fought for and they've developed over time. And that is extremely useful. And you as a person are developing your usefulness in business and in what you have to offer the world through that time frame, through, through years of acquiring that wisdom. Yeah, this, and that wisdom is, is only useful when, with the right mindset. Yes. So I'm really glad Andre brought this uh, on the live chat, brought this point up is that the reason people want to retire is because their, uh, their lives their are life, not aligned with icky guy. I think is how you say that. Their life purpose. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the friends of the show, uh, Mike Kitko, who is a, who makes uh, millionaires into happy millionaires. And so that should tell you right away that, money doesn't necessarily make you happy, that it really is about your mindset. He actually did a, a, a live, a live uh, feed the other day about what he has noticed between people that are successful and people that aren't successful. It's simply their mindset. They, can, they make happiness the rule, not because of their success. 
So they're going to be happy no matter what. And so I would challenge people, and Andre, I'm not challenging you. I'm just saying I would challenge the, your, what you're saying there um, because those people who are garbage people that people may say, well, that's a physical job or a carpet, they just want to get they just want to get out of that physical job because it's tiring, so on and so forth. It's really about their mindset um, because yes. that job cannot be tiring because we know that the mind is a very powerful thing for you. It's interesting, though, I think all these marketing forces, and that's where I wanted to continue, all these marketing forces then change from the pension to investments in, in basically 1973, when we talk, when we when we uh, introduce in Congress the individual retirement account or the IRA, because this was a way that people were going to not they, they could stop working if they just would contribute to this. Well, years and years later, um, it didn't work because people don't have enough money for a traditional retirement. I also hear people say the marketing. Uh, now the new TikTok era, the Instagram era, where they're showing like, I don't know all the little cutesy uh, words for this or phrases for this, but um, hyper retirement. In other words, you're retiring at age 35. Mm -hmm. Really, really dig into these so-called hyper retirements where I saved hyper, uh, saved and scrimped and everything. And at age 35, I'm retired. It really isn't the truth. The truth is they left the job that they were. Yes, they have a nice amount of money that can come in, but they're doing something else. So this is Andre's point, I believe, is that they're doing what they want to do. They're writing blogs. They're doing e-commerce. They're doing these other things. They're still working. Okay, they're yes. not tired, but that's what gets the blog. That's what gets people to the blog because they see yes. this hype. Retirement at age 35. That's what I want. And what they should be saying is, I just chose the life I wanted to live. Okay. Well, and I think mindset. It's so, so, so interesting. So, actually, back to the concept of ikigai for a second, which is a Japanese word that basically means, and I think I have the, the words right, but it's a Venn diagram of four circles. So, imagine one on top, one on each side, and then one on the bottom. So, like this. Di this diamond shape of four circles on a Venn diagram. They all overlap. And in the middle, all four of them overlap. So one is, and I might not have the words exactly right. One is basically your, um, your vocation, what you're doing that earns you money, how you, how you earn money, how you, uh, another one of the circles has to do with, um, what people want you to do, what they love you doing. Another is what, um, feels good to you what um makes you come alive and then there's a fourth one and i'm i'm sure i'm kind of butchering this a little bit but the idea of ikigai is that you need all of these things to align you need four circles to all align so that you can be fulfilling your purpose and the idea behind that then is is basically saying well don't just work for the sake of working and earning money you also want to be fulfilled personally while you're making money, while you're doing something that makes you come alive, and while other people are valuing this in their life, and it's something that they also need. So you have all this alignment happening. Bruce, I'm hearing you're saying, hey, let's challenge that idea a little bit, and I'm going to even challenge it a little further. I think sometimes so many people will say, you know, this isn't the work that I feel called to do. I'm a, I'm a I work, you mentioned a garbage person being like they're working on the trash line and they're driving a, a garbage truck. So they could say, well, this isn't my sole purpose. I'm not called to this earth for the purpose of being a garbage truck driver, right? They could say that, or they could, and they could say, this isn't my sole purpose. I need a different job so that I can really fulfill my purpose. Or they could say, let me do this with all of my heart. Let me be the best delivery gar garbage truck driver that I possibly can. And let me understand not just how to pick up trash well, but maybe how I could improve the route so that I could bring more profit to the company who's running the garbage trucks. Most of that's municipal, so it's not necessarily um, the city might not be making money, but maybe there's a supplier of the garbage trucks themselves. 
Or maybe you could think, how can we make this more efficient? How can we help other garbage truck drivers also have more um, enthusiasm about their job? How can we make them feel like they're coming more alive? Now, imagine that person is now maturing and they're older and they're 65 years old. And maybe they're still in that industry, but maybe instead of driving a garbage truck, they own an entire fleet of trucks that they're renting to the city or, or leasing to the city for the city to be able to um, handle the garbage service pickup. Or maybe they're now training other people to also own trucking companies that would lease to cities. Or maybe they're thinking differently about how city government handles things altogether and they're in a role of leadership to help those people make decisions. So you may think, well, this exact job isn't the one that I'm called to do, but you can do your work well. And as you do that work well, you can think expansively as a leader in that role that's called intrapreneurship as well. So you might be in a job and you're thinking um, innovatively and you're thinking entrepreneurially about that role. And I guarantee you that the things that you dedicate yourself to and saying, how can I improve this to the best of my ability? You will begin to love that work and you will begin to be very good at that work. And people will love you doing that work. It's not necessarily finding the one right thing that I have to be doing. And sometimes people would even say, well, you know, I just haven't found that one right thing yet. I'm going to bounce from this job to this job to this job. I'm trying to find my one thing. That's my passion. That's my purpose. That's my life calling. You're probably never going to find it by searching in some other industry or some other career field. It's not out there that you need. It's changing the your perspective, your mindset about how you handle and how you take care of that role that you are already inside of and improving that. One one other thing. Oh, I'm um, sorry. One other thing I want to say about this before we move on is that if you're thinking about retirement from the purpose of just building up capital and then living off of that capital, you're not thinking about cash flowing assets. Now, really the people who say I retired, like you're saying, Bruce, the ones who are early retirement focused, or how can I retire as young as possible? Meaning how do I get out of the job, not have to work the W-2 income job? That's really what they mean, a W-2 income job. And how do I switch over to doing some kind of a side gig or some kind of a running my own business or being an entrepreneur? How do I invest in real estate for cash flow instead. And that's now my job because I'm dedicating my time and energy to it, but I'm thinking about it differently because now it's a business I own perhaps. That switch can happen much earlier. The focus needs to be on building cash flowing assets. I just wouldn't call it retirement because retirement is saying I'm not going to be working anymore. Really what the focus can be is how can I continue contributing and serving more people better and not just in my own life, but how can I think about the generational legacy that I'm passing on to my children and my grandchildren, not just thinking about how can I live off of and take income from and consume the resources that I've built up during my lifetime. So it's having a longer range focus. Bruce, you might be muted. Thanks, so, am I? Yep, I can hear you. Um, yeah, I didn't think I was saying anything. Um, I think now for the last part, we really want to get into the nuts and bolts of the mathematics behind why total tax-free retirement. So let's say people are listening. That's great, Rachel and Bruce, but I'm still going to get a pile of money and I'm going to just retire and live off of it. And it's all going to be tax-free. And here we are espousing some of the benefits of whole life insurance. And one of them is that you could take a tax-free uh, income off of that, either to mm -hmm. supplement or to do whatever you want with the income. So let's just talk about a little bit. And once again, I'm not a CPA, so talk to your your tax advisor about this. But let's just think about this logically, because I've looked at thousands of tax returns and and talked to people about this. So under the current tax law, and most and for years, decades, had this where there's an exemption. Most people do not know this. Okay. Why do I, how do I know this? Because I go over tax returns with people all the time and people have no idea how their tax uh, situation works. I mean, I've been in 5,000 meetings and I'm telling you, out of those 5,000 meetings, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I would say five people knew 
how to read a tax return. Five. Okay. And I might be, I'm just, I'm trying not to exaggerate there because it may be, it may have been fewer. So Bruce's point is if you don't understand your tax return, you're not alone. You're not stupid, but there's something important he's about to say that you should listen up to. Go ahead. <laughs> Basically, and then we don't have time to go and we, and I'm, and I don't think it's really that advantageous to go over every line of the tax, the federal tax return, because it changes. But the concept is you put your income, and in case it's W-2 income, dividends, interest, business, investment, um, distributions from tax qualified or IRAs, 401ks, uh, 403b, so on and so forth, on the front of it, you add it all up. Then there's a spot for business incomes and partnerships and all kinds of uh, things that are not W-2 employees. They add all those up together. Under the current tax law, then they give you something called a QBI, Qualified Business Interest Deduction, and then they subtract that. And then this is the most important thing to understand, because if you had only if you had only tax-free income, then nothing on that front of that tax re, um, return would be reported as income. Nothing. You'd get to the bottom and it would say zero. And I'm sure people are, are thinking right now, well, that would be great. But then after the zero uh, in 2022, I looked it up because every year it goes up a little bit, you get to subtract per Congress law, 25,900, what's called an exemption. So now you have a zero subtracting $25,900. So now you have a negative number they do not give you for your adjusted gross income. So you've just, you've just lost the chance to actually have money in a taxable position be offset by this exemption. Now, let me give you an example of this. So we are, as you know, we are not uh, looking at putting money away and losing control and so on and so forth. But there are things out there you could contribute to an IRA or your 401, 401k. And by the way, this is blasphemous and most in, for most insurance producers that say, stay out of the stock market, so on and so forth. Well, I don't know where you can get a better rate of return than uh, actually putting $25,000, $25,900 in a 401k, pay no taxes that year, then have it grow and then take out $25,900 and have the exemption wipe out that growth. So now you've got the tax deducted while you're working and you get to have it taken out tax-free when you decide to take it out later on. So right then, that's better than paying zero taxes. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, if you do have a business, that business goal is to be profitable, I hope. And yes, you can do some things to offset the profits, but sooner or later, if you're really successful, you cannot offset all the profits. And so then that business would reduce profits if you had zero, um, a zero in income from that time, then the twenty five thousand nine hundred, if that was the only thing that you had coming in, was these the life insurance and not a business. So we would encourage you to also start a business, some kind of business to be profitable, to to take advantage once again of that twenty five thousand nine hundred. And finally. You know, there are other things, and we don't have time, and it depends on your, your situation, but uh, deductions from real estate and partnerships that could actually go on your front of your tax return and then be offset by the 25900 would be another situation where you could essentially get it deducted, and then you could actually not deduct it in that particular year, and then not have to pay taxes when you take the money out of the partnership. So those are examples, mathematical example. And I know we're talking about from the conceptual level, but my point is, as we started the program, you know, people always say, 
Um, I don't want to pay any taxes. Well, that is true. You may not want to pay any taxes, but you want to maybe not have just tax-free income because you may want to have taxable income that is offset by these other things that are allowed in the tax code. I think that was really helpful for anybody looking at this saying, how do I maximize everything in my financial life, not just reduce my taxable income, because taxable income is not the only thing to focus on. You can have more optimal optimizing of your financial life if you consider the big picture can also growth, not just reducing taxes. And you're yep. thinking about not also just having assets that allow you to have zero tax in the future. And the other thing I forgot to even mention is I find people that are find the benefits of tax-free growth in a life insurance policy tend to be more charitable-minded. Well, if you don't have any income, then when you make a when you make a contribution to a charity, you don't get to offset that income from the donation to the charity. So it's another reason why you may want to have to diverse yourself and have some investments or some partnerships or some business or some qualified money so that when you make your normal charitable donation, you actually get to offset that particular income with the charitable donation. So, so good. So if you have questions on tax, talk to your CPA. You can also ask us as you are in an individual personal conversation with us about your financial life and trying to optimize what exactly you're doing. We can talk to you more in depth about taxes as well. So the last piece, Bruce, is I think that we talk so much about what life insurance can do, how it can not only provide tax-free growth, it can provide you with growth through dividends and interest. It can provide this place to store cash that you can then grow more than what you put in. And you have the ability to use this all through your lifetime for any purpose, for any emergency or any opportunity. You can use it for investing in real estate or other investments or buying a house or paying for your kids' college or weddings. You can use this capital to, to do anything. And then it provides a death benefit that can be that usually is paid to either your trust or a charity or to a trust for your children. And this is a way to pass on generational wealth. It's doing all of these things for you. And one, one component of infinite banking or whole life insurance that sometimes, again, people pull out as the most important lens is, hey, so what if I put money in to a whole life insurance policy possibly as the only thing that I'm doing in my financial life, the only strategy that I have. And if I take that money and I put it in, I wait during my working years. And when I retire, I can then start taking out income that is tax-free through um, loans or through withdrawals. So Bruce, what I want to do here is I want to just unpack in the rest of the time that we have today why that is not the best first use of your whole life insurance. So there's kind of two parts of this. Why should we not just have life insurance and nothing else in our financial life? Why is life insurance by itself not the best thing to do? And secondly, why should we be looking at it as maybe a supplement for income or a um, volatility buffer for years that our other investments are down rather than the primary number one first strategy, the first place we start taking money from. So Bruce, let's unpack this. Well, first bit. of all, I'd like to thank um, Mr. Garcia here, mm -hmm. uh, um, for, for making the point, which you kind of hit on a little bit with Garrett Gunderson is don't let the, the tax man wag the dog, the, the tax, tax tail wag the dog. The dog. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, because there is a situation where you could actually make enough money that uh, the taxes don't really make a difference. Um, now, always you always want to try to minimize that, but uh, um, I just wanted to bring that point out. So, to your point, um, and I've already forgotten what where we were going. Here. That's okay. That's okay. So, let's talk about first 
why should we not just have only life oh. insurance and forget about every other financial tactic tool and just do the life insurance only? And that's where I was going with that whole thing is that and um, not letting the tax tail wag the dog. First of all, everything in your life, you really should you, you should think about diversification. Okay, so uh, we've had, as a matter of fact, Dr. Wade Fowles, um, his podcast just went live yesterday um, from the day we're talking now. And diversification is important in not only in your um, in your money life, but in your money in your life in general for happiness to try different things to grow as a person, so on and so forth. So when you have diversification, you actually are in more control. So we talk about three different things when we look at people's money. We talk about their taxable money, their tax deferred money, and their tax free money. So we believe you should have money in all three of those because we're looking for, for um, safety, liquidity, and growth. And you can't get all three of those in any particular um, place, vehicle that you put your money. And you can't get it in there. There's different types in the taxable column, different types in the tax deferred column, and different types in the tax free column. And this gives you more control of your life. I'll give you an example. Um, Let's say that I've seen this over and over in people in retirement where they have a, almost all of their money in tax deferred. What they will do is they will say, oh, I don't want to spend any of that money because if I spend that money, I have to pay taxes on it. So they lose out in enjoyment. Sometimes they lose out on another opportunity, a business opportunity. And they also lose out on tax strategies a lot of times. And you, you, you might be saying, wait a minute, tax strategies? I thought you just said they were going to have to pay taxes. Well, they may be paying taxes at a lower rate than if they were to leave it to the next generation, who the next generation are in, in their prime earning years. And they, and they are going to now have to take that money out one over a 10-year period. And so it goes on top of their income. So that's because of the new stretch IRA laws, right? Pardon me? That was the new stretch IRA requirements, correct? Well, I would say lack of stretch oh, IRA. Okay, there you go. Yeah, you used to be able to stretch it over your lifetime. And now and now they changed it to where you, you uh, have to do it over a 10-year period. Or you have to empty the bucket by 10 years. If it passes to your kids. If you pass it to a a, uh, a any beneficiary, mm -hmm. okay. that's not your spouse. Gotcha. So that's considered a, a spousal benefit is different. A spousal benefit becomes the, the benefit of the spouse. So they have the same RMD rules as the person who died had. The If it goes to any other beneficiary, it becomes a, what's called a beneficiary IRA. And that beneficiary IRA now needs to be <clears throat> needs to be um, emptied within ten years. And okay. and reason I say that like that is because most people are going to try to efficiently take it out over a ten year period, but you don't have to. You could just wait till the tenth year and take it all out at one time, which is probably not the best idea, but it is a possibility. So that was really the idea of diversification gives you more control because you're not just doing one thing. So basically you were saying, you see people who are putting money all in tax deferred, they're losing out on enjoyment of life because they don't want to spend the money or they're losing out on potential tax strategies. And so you're saying you're not as much in control when you just say, I am a, I do one thing and one thing only. I have life insurance and life insurance only. You can be diehard, but that's probably not the best thing to be diehard about, that that's well, the only one thing in your financial life. Yeah, I mean, maybe it, maybe your mindset and your goals, maybe it is. I'm just saying that you have to step back. You have to look at it from all your perspectives that may happen in your lifetime. And the best way to be able to pivot is to have a financial situation set up that has diversification. If you don't have diversification, it's harder to pivot 
from one strategy to to the next. And why may why why may you need to pivot? Tax law changes, family situations change. Um, you may have a career change. So there are reasons to be able to pivot, and that's where diversification comes in. So Bruce, let's talk now about why is income in retirement not the best first goal of life insurance? I'm going to bring out one that seems maybe really obvious, but if you're thinking of how do I use life insurance specifically for income in my life, you're looking at life insurance just as something that can give the most benefit during your lifetime. And I would say that's probably not the best use of of life insurance in general, because life insurance is designed to benefit you in your life, but it's also an amazing tool to pass on generational wealth. And if you are just looking at only what it can do in your own lifetime, you're going to limit the death benefit that passes on. You're also going to be thinking about how do you use up the whole thing as opposed to how do I create the greatest inheritance and the greatest legacy financially beyond me. Um, There's a lot of other pieces of this. I think sometimes there can be a hyper focus on IULs to, to draw this idea of I can retire off of this income. And, and Bruce, I'd like you to show that or talk about that a little bit more because the idea would be, I have to grow this at a really high rate or the, the higher growth I have inside the life insurance for the purpose of tax-free retirement is better. I need, I need to focus on that maximum growth inside the policy so that the window of time from when I fund it initially to the time I start taking income can be shrunk down. And then I start taking income. So that growth rate becomes really important, right? Yeah. So let's, uh, it's all about marketing and I'm not saying that IULs cannot be used for this. I just think you have to be very careful about the marketing. So let's think about this. The, the purest form of insurance that's been around for the longest is whole life insurance. In some some respect and, and form, 250 years, and other people say it's been around for, for a thousand years away, communities took care of, of their um, societal members. Then we came out with term insurance, and it was one-year renewable term, and it kept increasing every year. The, the cost kept increasing because it was renewed every year. And then finally, people stopped. They just dropped it because they could see it increasing every year and they didn't see how they were going to make the premium payments. So then life insurance companies came out and they said, well, let's package this in, in 10 and 15 and 20 and 25 and 30 year terms. Then we can smooth this out uh, so that we could pay some of the, the, the latter years in the earlier years. So it would be more expensive in the early years. And it worked. People hung on to it longer. Then with interest rates going up, they've developed this universal life concept. And when interest rates plummeted and the stock market took off, they developed the variable universal life concept. And then when the stock market crashed, then lo and behold, in 1999, they came out with index universal life, which they say you cannot lose your money in an index universal life. And I want you to listen to the way they actually say it, they and this part is true. You cannot lose your money due to market losses in in, the, in index universal life. However, the cost of insurance goes up every year, and the fees are not set. They can go up. So if you have years that are stagnant. In other words, the index went backwards. So you do not lose any money from the index going backwards. You The cash value can actually go backwards from increased fees and the yes. cost of insurance. Okay. Which then puts more of a strain on the idea that if you're illustrating something beautifully with a trajectory that does not account for those higher costs or potential changes in fees, you can end up in a situation where the illustration before you get a policy is guaranteeing that you can take a certain amount of income starting in this year that might actually not end up being the case, especially if you don't fund that policy the way that you intended to fund it before you put the policy in place. Yeah. And uh, we have two people commenting on IUs and Jordan, I, once again, I'm not we we have sold IULs, not the money advantage, but 
the, the E3 consultants group that I work with for the, pro the proper pur purpose. And we also sell them uh, with making sure people understand the risk. So Barry, that's, I understand that. Um, I'm sorry, Jordan, I understand it. Barry was talking about how he's the perils. He's been in the business about as long as I, or a little longer than I have, 40 years. And what we have seen is all these products over the years that state, that have these stated goals that are going to be the greatest thing in the world. The problem with IULs, and this is the way they're being sold right now from marketing, is max funded IULs, okay? And what that simply means is, that you're going to put as much money into that so that no matter what happens, you're going to keep this thing going. Now, what I've learned and probably what Barry has learned over, over his career is life gets in the way. Mm -hmm. And if you cannot max fund these or if you take loans against them for whatever reason, then and now it has to overcome not only the increase in fees at times and the loan payments, then as long as you have assets to keep putting it in there. And so I'm going to make sure I have the right person, uh, Barry. I agree. The concept should work. The problem is, is life gets in the way. And I would like to say also, is I, I've had discussions with people with the Money Advantage clients that say, oh, don't worry about it. If I'm taking a loan, I'm paying it back. Well, Nelson taught me this a long time ago. That's what everybody intends, but people end up stealing the peas. So I would say the same thing. People say, oh, don't worry. I got plenty of assets. I will always max fund my IUL. Don't worry about that. So I just, all we're saying is that should, we believe because of the perils that can ha happen in life, that you should not have that as the sole retirement situation. Or if you do, just understand the risk. That's all, that's all we're saying. And apparently, uh, Barry understands the risk. Well, I'm so, not Barry. Um, Jordan, Jordan understands the risk. Um, I think you mean Barry. No, no, no. Jordan said I'll be using IUL as my secure retirement. Yeah. Okay. All so right. Jordan understands the risk, apparently. Okay. So when we, um, let's answer this question that's probably also on the tip of everyone's mind because we've got Andres commenting again here. IUL equals risk goes against the whole point of insurance. Yes. I personally like to think about insurance. I'm doing for the purpose of guarantees. I'm looking for guarantees. I want guaranteed cash value, guaranteed death benefit, and I want a um, there's another guaranteed premium. I, I want to be guaranteed to not have to put more premium in. I'm doing it for the guarantees. I want to separate the investment risk category in my life. And then and Andre says as well, the whole the key to whole life is the guarantees. Yes. Um, Andre says IUL has not reduced paid up option, doesn't have a reduced paid up option. I'm not sure about that. Um, Bruce, you can comment there if you'd like, but I also would like to pivot over. What if somebody said, okay, I get it. I don't want to use an IUL. I love whole life insurance. Why not just use only a whole life policy or as many whole life policies as possible, no other investments and come at it from the retirement angle and I, and use this for tax-free retirement income. What's the problem with that? Um, Bruce, I'd love your thoughts and input on that. I'm going to say first, I, I believe and I see that whole life insurance can be used for income. Yes, it can be used for income in later years. What I would encourage you to do though, is not think of it as a first resort, as a, how can I take the income as soon Holy as resort. possible? Yeah, it shouldn't be an only resort. It shouldn't be a first resort. It shouldn't be, here's where my income is going to come from starting at age 65. And then I run out at a certain year and I have no more cash value that I can borrow. And now I'm taking withdrawals instead and I'm paying tax on that. And I'm living longer than I expected. What then? That's not a situation that you want to be in. It's not good for your life insurance policy. And it's not good for you and your income situation. Use as a last resort with other sources of income that life insurance can supplement. Yes, I would say that can be a strategy of using life insurance, but I would highly caution against using it as a first and only source of income. Bruce, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think um, we've, we've kind of discussed all these things today. It really comes down to what you're comfortable with. You know, 
that's our belief that you shouldn't do it. And, you know, I, I have a tendency to, to say, if that's your belief, that's fine, but you have to understand the perils in both directions. I, I really believe that. And that's why we go over things at nauseum, you know, over and over to make sure people understand what they're getting into. The other thing I've noticed in, in my 30 plus years of doing this is people get in and they dig their heels in and they believe that this is the only way and they're not able to pivot. And, you know, so if you think whole life insurance is, is the way that you're going to fund your retirement and something comes up, you're going to continue down that path no matter what. Same way with an IUL or a VUL. I just had uh, I had just had a discussion with a client the other day who had a VUL from a, a previous insurance broker, and he was shocked to find out that it was going to run out in two years if he mm. didn't put additional money into it. So all these things can work if you understand how they function and if you have the means to continue to do this. You just have to understand that you need to be able to pivot. And the way that you pivot in life is through diversification and understanding what you have. So through education. So I would say, um, I'm sure you've probably heard of LIFO and FIFO. I would think about life insurance as a LIFO. It's easy to think life, LIFO, last in. I mean, actually, I think I'm, no, it would be the opposite of that. What is a Philo. I don't even know if that's a, a thing. First thing, it should be the first thing that you fund. And it should be the last thing that you use up. If you're thinking about using up for the purpose of your income, not the first thing you fund and the first thing that you use up. I don't know if I am communicating that clearly. Um, yeah. I mean, first, in oh, general, I would say that's correct. But I think you also... Um, you also have to look at the situation. So example, if somebody has money in a tax deferred situation and uh, the money's going down because of stock market losses, you may not want to access the money at that time because you might want to give it time to uh, recover. And that's Dr. Wade Fowles talking about a volatility buffer. So in that case, you may want to be the first, the first place that you take some income from. So in that, in that time that it's down, that your other investments are down. down. Correct. I'm so, going to I mean, link over to that article as well. Yeah. So you really have to look at the entire picture, not only that year, but into the future. So I hope that we've given you some great things to think about here. Andre, thanks for the additional comments. We're not going to have time to address them all on the show here. Um, but thank you so much for everyone who's shared your thoughts and shared your ideas during the show today. Um, I think this is something that is a very important thing to talk about and to really make other people or to make people aware of so that you can make the best decisions in your financial life. So let me just um, bring us to a close. This is a extra long show today for you. Um, so if you are looking for more answers in your own financial life, then you can get from a public forum or platform like this by commenting on Facebook or LinkedIn or YouTube, where you happen to be watching, or even if you're looking for more than you can get by emailing us at hello at the money advantage and getting an answer back that way, or having us answer on a future show, all of which we love to do. We'd love to invite you into a conversation with an advisor to really look at your full set of circumstances that are going into your financial choices today and what your goals are for the future and really saying, how do I make the best choices to set myself up for the greatest success in the widest range of circumstances in the future. We'd love to do that for you. Head on over to themoneyadvantage.com. There's a button that says book a call or schedule a call. I forget what it exactly says. It's right on the front page. And you can book a call with an advisor to have that discussion at your earliest convenience. So we'd love to be there for you to answer those questions. In the meantime, click a thumbs up on this. If you like the show, give us um Give us your feedback, comment if you're watching later. We'd love to hear your thoughts and questions. And thank you for being with us here on this journey at The Money Advantage. In closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. 
we've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.